All right, uh, back again in the series of uh, podcasts about uh, life in uh, Eastern Furnace Village in the 1940s and 1950s. And I want to thank everyone for their uh, kind comments. I'm getting very good feedback, and I'm hoping that you enjoy this as much as I do. Now, uh, one of the uh, uh, big occupations for a young person when uh, he or she didn't have to work on the farms was to get a paper route. You stood in line to get one. It was a very uh, important thing to have. And uh, get you away from digging in the dirt and shoveling out manure. In any case, this week's uh, episode is entitled A Furnace Village Paper Route in 1947. Goes like this. Back then, a uh, paper route was a sought-after privilege in contrast today's ads in the local rags requesting adults to take on the task. It was a paper boy, or occasionally paper girl, that did the delivery job with pride. One had to be put on a waiting list until a route came up to be open, or in my, my case, to have Bob Rye put in a good word for me when he decided to give up his route for the then Brockton Enterprise and Times. Bob Rye was the eldest of a large contingent of Rye kids who lived diagonally across Foundry Street from the Belcher Malleable Operation. There was no Sunday edition of the paper back then, and the cost per day was four cents, or 24 cents a week. Every customer gave me the quarter coin, so the extra penny was a 42-cent tip each week, since there were 42 households on the route. The number varied by more than one or two from the time I took the route until I gave it up three years later. The extra penny would be laughed at today, but I could buy a candy bar for a nickel that would cost a dollar today. I received 10 cents per week per paper delivered from the Enterprise, and that gave me $4.20 per week. Multiply it by about 15 to give you an idea what it's worth in today's money. I never missed a day in three years for sickness or bad weather. My folks had one automobile, and they never helped me with my route. One elderly couple gave me two dimes and four pennies every Friday night, which was collection day. You might take a guess that at Christmas time, I got the 52 pennies in a small envelope from them. I learned a lesson on being parsimonious from those folks, and have had a box of my top bureau drawer labeled, Pieces of String Too Short to Save, Ever since. My first customer was a half mile from my home at 455 Foundry Street. The entire route was 12 miles with an extra mile on Chestnut Street to make that damn Sheehan delivery. I didn't want to deliver to Sheehan at his chicken farm on Chestnut Street. Back then, Chestnut was unpaved. The dirt road made my balloon-tired bike shake, rattle, and bounce like the balls in a bingo parlor cage. The Enterprise told me that if I did not make the delivery, they would take the route away from me. Heaven forbid. Sheehan gave me an extra quarter a week to make the rough run. I recall the first payday. I had this great fondness for pimento-stuffed olives. At our house, we never went hungry, but none of us could simply have all the olives we wanted at a meal. Moreover, olives were a holiday treat kind of food. So I stopped in at Swift's store later Trader Don's and then John Keach's office, and bought a bottle of the forbidden olive fruit from the man behind the counter, my great-uncle, Dwight Hill. Long story short, I ate the whole bottle of olives and not surprisingly got a good stomachache. While my fondness for olives has gradually returned, I never eat one but what I think of the first payday on the paper route.
I had the route for three years. Winters were a challenge. Roads were not plowed, sanded, and salted as they are today. Route 106, Foundry Street, was sanded pretty well, but when I got to my first customer on South Street, the side roads were often just a glare of ice. Plows left three or four inches of snow on the roads and a touch of rain or a slight melt, followed by a freeze, made the roads real icy slick. I would ride the bike to South Street, dismount, and don my ice skates and skate the entire route. Of course, I would stop at Old Pond, sometimes called Pharaoh's Pond, and play a little hockey before uh, going home. We call the pond Farrow's Pond because John Farrow's family lived on the shore. John Farrow was the ice man. This was just before refrigerators were coming in more commonly and they eventually put him out of business. Down Poquantican Avenue a bit was Mrs. Metcalf at number 19, now the Bob Bruce place. She was big into religion. We had Bible classes there, memories of the man who played the carpenter's saw with a violin bow stay in mind. Further on was the Ewall Smith homestead. He came out of a southern state and used the Ewall expression freely in his talk, which led to the odd sobriquet. The Crookshanks and Clover Valley Farm were clients, as well as Willis Buck. Tom Williams and his mom did not have electricity in their home at that time, but they did have a telephone wire running to the farmhouse. I split off at Massapog Ave, where the Caneys and the Regos live. Larry Regal was a great favorite. As the last house on my route, I often stayed an hour or two with him as he played Sweet Georgia Brown, Quicksilver, and Hard-Hearted Hannah on the piano for me. He was legally blind but had amazing ability to do auto repairs, mostly by feel. On top of that, he did radio fixes. He had a way of telling one vacuum tune for another that I never figured out. At age 15, I graduated to work at the Hocker Watches and Poultry Farm, but that's another story, and that's the way I remember it.